Thank you for your excellent singing this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 12, as he mentioned, is where we'll be focusing mainly on one verse, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, I, I just um, I want to be a little honest with you here, a little real for a few moments. The last two, three weeks have been, have been somewhat discouraging for numerous reasons, including uh, yesterday going to the funeral of Job Counselor, who many of you knew grew up here and uh, um, went home to be with the Lord just a little over a week ago. And so sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes when, when you go through times of discouragement, you get your focus off of where it should be. Um, and as I was struggling in the last couple weeks and this week on different reasons, um, this message kept kind of um, reminding me to where I need to be. And so I, I, I'm prefacing this because I believe this is a message that is for every single person in this room. I don't think there is anyone here that is exempt from this. And so I want to challenge you, first of all, to listen with an open heart and an open mind. Uh, but second of all, I want to challenge you to listen not for the sake of others, but for the sake of yourself. This is one of those messages that is easy to listen to and go, yeah, mm-hmm, that person needed it. The reality is, is every one of us needs it. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. God, I pray that you will help us as we look at this topic, as we look at this text, uh, Lord, that you will guide in our lives and you will work in our hearts. Uh, Lord, your desire is to change us. Your desire is to mature us. Lord, I know we're stubborn people. Lord, oftentimes we think only of ourselves. We desire to think of others, but Lord, so many times it's, it's a struggle. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us today just to take a few minutes and look at this passage and that your spirit will guide and direct. Lord, I pray that you'll continue working in my heart. And Lord, I pray you'll help me to grow as well. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 is going to be our primary verse for today. Uh, many of you know I've talked about this before. But uh, I uh, love sports. I love playing sports, watching sports. I don't play as much as I used to, so I probably should stop saying that. But uh, I love uh, watching sports. And when I was a kid, my favorite sport was baseball. Um, I loved uh, watching baseball. Um, I've mentioned this before, but I was kind of a stat geek. Okay? I, could, I knew like my favorite team. I knew everything about them, the lineup. I knew the, everyone's batting average. I probably do way too much. I would study baseball cards like they were important to the world, even though they weren't, but they were to me. Um, and my favorite baseball team, and I hate admitting this because they've been bad for a long time, but my favorite baseball team is the New York Mets. Okay, someone else agrees with me. Way to go. There you go. Okay. Uh, now, I started cheering for the Mets in, in the early 80s, and if you know uh, baseball history at all, you know that in 86, the Mets went to the World Series against the Red Sox. My entire family was Red Sox fans, and I was the only one that was a Mets fan. The Mets won, so that was good. Um, but since then, they haven't won anything. Okay? But one of the most famous Mets uh, pitchers was a man by the name of Tom Seaver. Uh, some of you may have heard of him. He's a Hall of Famer. In 1985... Uh, 
Tom Seaver was on the verge of winning his 300th game, which, for those of you that don't know baseball, 300 w victories for a pitcher is a big deal. There's only been, I think, 20 to 25 pitchers who have ever won that many games. And so he was excited about this, and they were, uh, for weeks leading up to it, uh, reporters were talking to him on a regular basis, and, and people were congratulating him even before it happened, and, and people were constantly uh, talking about how great he was, and, and he heard it all the time. And uh, the day came of the game, uh, of the next game, and he had 299 victories, and he was hoping this was going to be the game, and he went through the game, and he pitched an incredible game. Came down to the ninth inning, three outs to go. It was four to one. Uh, they were winning, and the, uh, the coach said, I'm going to send you back out for the last inning. And so just as he was getting ready to go out onto the mound for the last inning, he walked over to the, the boxes where the, the, the families would sit. And he walked over, and he gave his wife a hug, and he said, this is it. And, and he was excited, and he's like, I can't wait. Now, after, if I win this game, you're going to come onto the field with me. And he turns to his daughters, his nine-year-old and his seven-year-old, and he said, hey, you're going to come onto the field with me. Just three more outs, and we'll be done. His nine-year-old daughter looked at him and said, good. I'm sick of this game, and I just want to go home and go swimming. And he thought, hmm, I guess it's not all about me. Our kids have an interesting way of humbling us, don't they? We've been looking at the keys to spiritual maturity. We talked about desiring to grow. We talked about killing sin. We talked about prayer. This morning I want to talk about humility. Humility as being the next key to spiritual growth. The Bible encourages humility over and over and over again. In fact, in this passage in, in Hebrew, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, in Romans chapter 11, three times in Romans chapter 11, Paul says to be humble and, uh, and, and um, tells us to avoid pride. Three times in Romans chapter 12, Paul encourages his believers, uh, his, his readers, excuse me, to, uh, to, to beware of pride. Paul was concerned that we as Christians would grow in humility. For centuries, the church has listed pride as one of the seven deadly sins and something that should be greatly avoided. Well, in, in around the 70s, um, psychology creeped into the American church. And we became inundated with books that tell us that we need to grow in our self-esteem, our self-confidence, our self-awareness. It seems at odds with Bible's command to grow in humility. A very vocal promoter of this teacher was a, a, a pastor by the name of Robert Schuller. Some of you may have heard of him. He pastored a church that was known as the Crystal Cathedral. He one time wrote to, to fellow pastors this statement. He said this, Dare to be a possibility thinker. Do not fear pride. Embrace it. The easiest, God has, the easiest job God has is to humble us. God's most difficult task is to keep us believing every hour of every day how great we really are. He tells us there to, to, to not 
fear pride. But if, if we're not to fear pride, then why does God say in James chapter 4, uh, but He gives more grace, therefore I say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If, if God does not want us to fear pride, then why does He say in Isaiah, He gives an incredible promise. This is a promise that God is saying, this is the one to whom I look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. If we are not to fear pride, if we are not to be people who are more concerned about being humble, then why does God say this? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Why does Paul warn us in 1 Corinthians, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. We look throughout Scripture and we see pride is constantly one that is, we are told is, is, is something we're to throw off. We're told we're to take on humility. What is humility? Zondervan describes humility this way. It's a spontaneous recognition of the creature's absolute dependence on the Creator. The idea of humility is this. It's a, there's a correlation between our understanding of God and our understanding of ourself, which produces humility. It's a sin consciousness that causes us to see God, see ourself, and realize that we have, are nothing in comparison to God. Humility is the place of entire dependence on God. It takes the right attitude before God and allows, us, uh, allows Him to do whatever He needs to do in our lives. In some senses, humility is entire nothingness that comes when we truly see God. I want to give you a few quotes about the idea of, uh, of, of pride and humility. In his book, Exemplary Husband, Stuart Scott writes this, When someone is humble, they are focused on God and others, not self. Even their focus on others is out of desire to love and glorify God. A humble person's goal is to elevate God and encourage others. In short, they no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose on their behalf. C.J. Mahaney, who wrote the book Humility, said this about humility. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. John Calvin wrote many years ago this way, It is evident that man never obtains to true self-knowledge until he previously contemplates the face of God and then comes down after that such contemplation to look at himself as he truly is. So to sum it all up, we see that true humility means that we see God as the giver of life, the sustainer of life, and we see ourselves as sinful and needy in his presence. So that, because of that, we truly, totally trust in Him for everything and not in ourselves. And through anything that does happen in us, we give Him the glory. Notice how Paul ends Romans chapter 11. Look what he says at the end of Romans chapter 11. For from Him, is Jesus Christ, and through Him, and to Him, are all things. To Him be glory forever. It's in, in, in light of all of that that we come to this idea of humility. 
But really, it even goes back before that. But look back, if, if you will, at chapter 11, verse 32. He says this, uh, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. In other words, all of us are sinners, so that God can have mercy on us. It's all because of the mercy of God. It's not anything that we have done. And so because of the mercy of God, because of the grace of God, then, and because that it's all for God's glory, everything that was created is for God, that God comes to us through Paul and says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you then, by the mercies of God, present your bodies, your lives, as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And, the next part of that, do not be conformed to this world. Don't allow yourself to be put into the mold of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Now, I'm not going to spend a long time to talk about um, verses 1 and 2. In fact, next week, um, Pastor Nate's going to preach and he's going to conclude this series and he's going to preach on Romans 12, 1 and 2. But I want to focus on 12, 1 and uh, verse 3. But I wanted you to see 1 and 2 so you understand that he's telling us here to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, but renew your mind. And then what's significant about that is what is the, the first aspect of a renewed mind that Paul mentions? Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to anyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The significance is that when Paul says, okay, I, you, everything you do is for the glory of God, and so therefore I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice. I want you not to be conformed to the world, and I want you to renew your mind. And the first thing you need to renew, the first thing you need to change in the way that you think is your opinion of yourself. Paul uses the word in verse 3, the phrase to think. He uses it uh, numerous times actually in this text alone. And he shows us that humility is how we think before God. The point is, is this, even if we can hide our pride from others, we can't hide it from God. I think sometimes as Christians we want to put on this air of humility, but we're really not. And here, that is the idea, is if you are going to change the way you think, the first step is your humility. James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourself before God and He will exalt you. This is the mindset we need to develop before God, where we constantly judge our dependence on on ourselves and affirm our gratitude towards God and our dependence on Him. As we continue on, and we'll touch on this briefly, but as you continue on in Romans chapter 12, then he begins to get into relationships. And again, I think it's interesting that he tells us to, uh, that we're to give our bodies as a living sacrifice, we're not to be conformed, we're to change the way we think. And then he says, okay, what's the first step in changing the way you think is the way uh, uh, you think about yourself, your humility. And until you address that issue, then you are going to struggle in any relationship that you have. Because pride is the root of all relationship conflicts. 
Any conflict that you have, maybe it's a conflict in your home, maybe it's a conflict at work, maybe it's a conflict in, in some other avenue, guess what? Maybe it's a conflict here at church. Those conflicts are all the result of pride. Until we understand that, we're, we're going to continue battling each other. Humility is the foundation for godly loving relationships. Humility is the foundation for a church that is growing. And if we want our church to be growing, we need to be humble. We can see it in toddlers, don't we? Okay, a few weeks ago I was, for whatever reason, in, in the nursery, and I watched, and I will not name names, but I know their parents are going to know who I'm talking about. I watched two young men in our nursery battle it out for a toy. I mean, it was a fierce battle, and we had to go and actually physically separate them over a toy. You try to, you know, do misdirect. Hey, do you see this pretty toy? But I want that one! And, you know, and that's, that's the way that we see toddlers act, but the truth is, is while we've grown more sophisticated in how we do it, our adult conflicts are rooted in that same self-centered pride. Oh, we wouldn't say it, but we act it. I want it my way. I want this from my church. Give it to me. It's mine. And you're no better than that selfish toddler. Well, maybe you're not crying and kicking and screaming, but we act that way. And you say, wow, I understand. It's what I prefaced at the very beginning. Yep, I know there are people who need this. I want you to notice what Paul says in this passage. Look at verse 3 again. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you. Paul understood that this was not a a problem with just a few. He said, hey, I want to say something, and this involves every one of you. And so I stand up here saying, this involves every one of you. You say, how dare you say that about me? I'm not. Scripture is. We We struggle with that. This is not just something that a few people need to work on. Pride is a symptom of a fallen, broken human heart. And it's vital for each of us to develop true humility in order for us to grow as individuals, in order for us to grow as a church. So what does that look like? From this verse, I'm going to look at four steps. Not steps. Four points of humility. First one... Uh, is developing humility requires constantly dwelling on God's grace. Again, verse 3, for by the grace given to me. Now, what is Paul referring to when he says by the grace given to me? I believe that what Paul is referring to is the grace that God gave him in the gift of being an apostle, apostleship. We see this mentioned other places in Paul's writings where he talks about this gift that God had given him of being an apostle. Now, what that tells us is a couple things. First of all, it tells us that Paul understood that it wasn't of himself. But it also tells us that what follows are not just helpful hints for happy living. What follows are apostolic commands. In other words, what follows are commands from God given to us through Paul. This is God saying, okay, I gave Paul a calling to be an apostle. And Paul is now saying, these words are are from God as 
I am the spokesperson of God, is what Paul is saying. In other words, if we don't grow in humility, we are disobeying God. And Paul is very aware of that fact. Paul is also very aware of the fact that the position he held as an apostle was by grace alone. But I believe that Paul is also aware uh, of grace that is involved in other aspects, not just in his apostleship, in other way, the grace of salvation that he shares and that I share and that we all share if we're a believer here today. Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11 deals in a great way with the grace that God has given us for salvation. It's not a reward for good behavior. It's, it's not uh, that God gives it to us because we're something special. It's not, but if it hadn't been for the grace of God, we would still be in our sins. And I hope you understand that. Headed for hell. But now we're saved, and so uh, the grace of God doesn't end. The grace of God continues, and, and whether you have natural or spiritual gifts, all of those things that, we ha- that God has given us, and we'll talk about these in a minute, are given us by the grace of God. And the problem is sometimes we arrogantly think it's about us. Look at this passage, Paul, Paul speaking to the, the, the carnal Corinthians. He said, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Okay, it's Paul looking down at, his, at, at the people in Corinth and saying, Hey, listen, what is it that you have that's worth anything that you didn't receive from God? Now, this is said in the mix, in the mix of a top uh, discussion on spiritual gifts. And, and so the idea of what he's talking about is how many of you walk around thinking you're big stuff because uh, you, uh, you do this in the church and this in the church, and he says, wow, what did you do to receive that? Nothing. If then you received it, if then it was something given to you, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Why do we walk around in arrogance? So the reminder for us as believers when it comes to true humility is always to keep the grace of God in view. First of all, we need to keep coming back to the cross. Jesus didn't die because you are worthy. Jesus didn't die because he thought, hey, this individual is a great prize. I've got to have. No, Jesus died because he loved you. And he extended salvation to you because of his grace. John Newton put it right when he said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. By the way, an interesting note. I mentioned earlier uh, Robert Schuler, the pastor of uh, that church, talked about how we did, shouldn't fear pride. Uh, this is just another example of that. Uh, Robert Schuler one time had a visiting choir come in, and they told him they were going to sing this song, Amazing Grace. And he said, that's great. I love that song. But he said, I want you to change the wording a little bit. And so he told them, I want you to take out the word wretch. Because you can't have a real high esteem opinion of yourself if you view yourself as a wretch. You know what? We look at Scripture and we see over and over again. That's who we are. Except by the grace of God. So we need to develop a humility that understands that it's by the grace of God alone. Secondly, developing humility requires lowering one's view of Look what he says in verse 3 again. 
Uh, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than not to think. I mean, here here he's even giving us the the idea of a, a high and low. He's saying, don't think of yourself up here. Think of yourself down here. I don't think the danger is that we think too lowly of ourselves, but that we think too highly of ourselves. Paul doesn't tell us here that you need to build up your self-esteem or your self-confidence in order to succeed. I hear sometimes people say this, uh, something like this, uh, the reason I have succeeded in his life is because I'm a self-confident person. And I hear Christians sometimes saying that. Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 17, verse 5, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Over and over again we see that. Yet our trust should always be in the Lord, not in ourselves. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. See, a lot of times we stop there. I can do all things. I'm a confident person. But what does it say? I can do all things, what? Through Christ who strengthens me. It is not through myself. I've not been able to find one instance in all of Scripture where the the Lord tells someone who is bemoaning their weaknesses or their inadequacies that they need to start believing in themselves more. In fact, I want to give you a a few examples of this. Uh, In in Genesis, um, God is, uh, uh, is talking to Abraham and Abraham is trying to convince the Lord to spare Sodom and Gomorrah from destruction. And notice what Abraham says to the Lord. Behold, I have undertaken to speak to you, I who am but dust and ashes. I don't have the rest of the passage because uh, God did not address what Abraham said. He didn't come and say, okay, come on, Abraham. Don't say that about yourself. You're such a good person. He doesn't do that. Another example is Job. Job's an interesting guy. Job, uh, it's interesting. We see that it says that Job was a righteous person, but but we see God telling that to Satan. Job lost everything. He lost his possessions. He lost his children. He lost his health. He lost everything. And then his, if you look in the book of Job, uh, for 30 chapters, his friends, so-called friends, berate him. Put him down. Tell him how horrible he is. And then finally, we come to chapter uh, 38, and for two chapters then, God speaks. And in chapter 38 and chapter 39, what does God do? God tells Job how little he knows and how insignificant he is compared to God. And what's Job's response to that? In chapter 40, in verse 4, he says, Behold, I am of little account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I'm going to stop speaking because, God, I am nothing. How does God respond to that? Does he say, come on, Job, you're the most righteous man in the entire world. Don't talk like that. You need to look better at yourself. No, you know what he does for the next two more chapters? He tells Job how he's wrong. He tells Job how in comparison to God, he is, he is low. And then Job concludes, therefore I repent myself. I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. You know, Job was a righteous man. But you know where Job needed to be? There. I repent in dust and ashes. 
This is hard sometimes for us to hear. We live in a culture where we're told that we're supposed to constantly be patting ourselves on the back. And yet, Scripture tells us many times, over and over again, that we're to be people who are humble. Not self-defacing, there is a difference. But humble. Let me give you another example. Remember the story, the miracle of Peter, when Peter goes out to catch fish and they're not getting any success. And uh, the morning comes and they see Jesus and Jesus says, cast your net into the water. And, and they do and they pull up and they can't even lift it all up. After that happens, Peter comes and he, and he sees Jesus and look what he does. He falls down at Jesus' knees and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O God. Jesus didn't correct them. No, Peter, you're a good guy. Now, what Jesus did was he graciously began to tell Peter, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start to change you. And what it says, he said, Peter, from now on you're going to be catching men. If you can find any verse in Scripture that tells us that we need to build our self-esteem or love ourselves more or or think of ourselves more highly, then I'd be glad to look at it, but I don't think you'll find it. Now, there are places where God talks about things that maybe are about that, and I want to address a couple of those. First of all, some look at the second uh, great commandment, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. That is not a command to love yourself more. Rather, it assumes an innate self-love that we have that is the standard by which we should love others. Think of another idea, and that is that throughout Scripture it talks about us being God's beloved children, identified with Christ, possessing His gracious gifts for service. And these blessings are, are to be seen, not something that we are inherent or, or something we deserve, but something that are by the grace of God. Yes, I am the beloved child of God, but it's not because I am worthy of it. To develop uh, true humility, we need to go lower, not higher. Look, if you're in Romans chapter 12, look what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This, this, what I am preaching today is so anti-culture that even as Christians, it bothers us. But it's the only way you're going to grow. It's the only way. Developing humility means that we don't think more highly of ourselves, but we place ourselves lowly. Again, not self-effacing. Okay? There's parts of the world that think that, and even in history, that's not what it's talking about. It's constantly putting others above yourself. Third, developing humility means that all you have comes from God. We'll give you a will at verse 3 again. He says, not to think of himself more highly than ought to think, but to think with uh, sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
some have asked, what is he talking about there with that, that faith that he's talking about that God gives to us? And, and some think that maybe he's talking about the, the faith of, uh, necessary for justification, which God does give to us in order for us to be saved. And, and I think that is true, but that's not the, what's being said here because he says the measure of faith. In other words, he's saying that some give, get a certain amount and some give more, get more and some get less. And that is not the idea of salvation, because when it comes to salvation, if you are a Christian here, we've gotten all that we need for our salvation when it comes to the area of faith. So what is he talking about here? I believe here he's talking about uh, the idea of, of our service and our gifts to God. And how do I know that? Because if we continue on in verse 4, in verse 4 he begins to talk about uh, the function inside the church, the body. See, all of this is prep work that... that Paul is giving us on how do we are to operate as a church. And he says in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and, and the members do not all have the same function. Everyone here doesn't have the same function that God has for us. In verse 6 he says, look there, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us then use them. And he begins to talk about these gifts. And so when he talks about the measure of faith, I believe what he's talking about there is that God has given you the faith necessary to do these varying gifts that we all have. They're from God. Thus it seems that in verse 3, when Paul is talking about these varying amounts of faith, that he's talking about that he's given to these givers to exercise the gifts that God has given to you. We see this in another passage in 1 Corinthians, again, talking about the idea of, of spiritual gifts. I read from verse 7 earlier, but verses 4 through 6. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but what? It's the same God who empowers them all in, every, uh, in everyone. The point is, whether we have gifts to do big, massive things, or whether we ex- exercise our gifts every day in small ways. What we need to keep in mind is that everything you are and everything you have comes from God according to His sovereign plan. And this attitude should eliminate pride. I've shared this before, but um, you know, on Sunday mornings, I, I often will sit up here in the front, and, and some of you may notice sometimes I'm up here praying because I'm sitting there thinking, God, I, there's times I'm thinking, God, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm gifted for this. And, and, and I, I pray and say, God, I need you to work through me. But you know what happens? I'm going to be candid here with you for a moment. What happens is I finish the service and, and I conclude the service and I walk to the back and I stand there and people come by and go, that was a really nice message, Pastor. And you know what begins to happen after a while? I start going, yes, it was. And that's just pride. And I have to ask God, I appreciate people telling me those things, but I have to ask God, God, help me to remember that it is not my, my doing. It is your gifts that you have given to me. And that is not given to me because of something special I am, but because of your grace. I'm Hudson Taylor. Some of you may know him. He was... Uh, a missionary to China, and, and uh, uh, he was scheduled to speak at, at a very large Presbyterian church in Australia. And they were excited about having the great Hudson Taylor there. And uh, the, before his message, the pastor got up to introduce him, and uh, he introduced him with eloquent 
in glowing terms and talked praise to him over and over again. And, and as he was getting ready to sit down, he said, I want to introduce to you our illustrious guest. It said that Hudson Taylor walked up, this was later in his life, and he walked up slowly and he stood behind the pulpit for a moment, didn't say a word. And finally he said this, Dear friends, I am a little servant of my illustrious master. Everything that we have is from God. And so it should guard us from having pride about what we accomplish. It should also guard us from comparing ourselves with others who who seem to be more successful or less successful than we are. You know, sometimes this is a stumbling block for pastors. And we see another pastor who has a bigger church or who is asked to speak at places all over the world and and sometimes it's easy to get jealous. But instead, what what I should do is I should continue to be obedient to the will of God and and rejoice that I'm on the same team as that guy. That we're members of the same body. If they're seeing fruit for the cause of Christ and for His glory, then I should rejoice. But you know, the same thing can be true in the church. You're not of lesser importance or greater importance because you've been given a different gift. We're all just humbled servants of God. And that is how we should respond. Now it should also cause you to realize that you need to be doing the service God has given you to do. Some say, I, I just, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. To develop true humility, we need to keep God's grace always in mind. We need to work on going lower, but we need to remember that we, everything we have, including our faith to serve God, comes from Him. And then finally, and kind of jumping on that last point, developing humility requires using the gift God has given you for His glory. God tells us not to think more highly of ourselves, but to think with sound judgment, using the measure of faith that you have and the gift that God has given you. He does not say that He has only given uh, some measure of faith to some people, but it says to each one of us, Every text in the Bible that mentions spiritual gifts emphasizes that all of us, if you are here today and you have called upon the name of the Lord as your Savior and He has drawn you uh, uh, to His grace, all of us then have a gift of God. To be used, not for ourselves, but for the glory of God. There is no part uh, uh, of this body that does not have that. Each one is essential to the proper functioning of the whole. It's the same way in in our body. The Bible uses in numerous places the analogy of the body of Christ, the church. But think about your own body. There's there's no part of your body that uh, you probably want to do away with. I mean, I know, I understand, I could live without an arm. Okay, I I could live without an eye. I could live without even a, a kidney. But I can only function at full capacity when all the parts are there and they're doing what they're supposed to do. And the same thing is true for the church. People who say they have no talent to serve in the church, 
You know what? You're not thinking with sound judgment. You're thinking too highly of yourself. You're not being you're not being humble when you say I have no talents to serve in this church. You're actually being the opposite. And he says here to think with sound judgment, to understand what God has done for us. Because when you say that I don't have any talent that I can serve in the church, what you're doing is you're denying the gift that God has given to you to use for the glory of God. Remember the story of the, the, the talents? In the story of the talents, there was three individuals that were given talents, money, by their master. The first one was given ten talents. Uh, the second one was given two talents. And the last one was given one talent. What's interesting is, it wasn't the guy with five, uh, excuse me, ten talents that buried him, or two talents that buried him. It was the guy that had just one talent. He went and said, who's going to bury it? And when the master returned, he rebuked him harshly. If you're thinking, I'm not, I'm not a gifted speaker, I'm not effective as an evangelist, that your gift doesn't matter, you're in danger of imitating the one talent slave, the servant. You're not thinking with sound judgment, as God has allowed it, allotted to you a measure of faith. If you don't evaluate yourself properly, you may use what God has given you in a wrong way, or you may not use it for His glory. The Scripture says you'll face His displeasure when you stand before Him. You will not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. My challenge to you is try to figure out, maybe you need the help of a a trusted friend or a pastoral staff member to figure out uh, how you can get involved to use. Now there might be a learning curve. There might be a time when you fail. I told the story just a couple weeks ago, the first time I ever played my trumpet in church. You know what? I failed big time. But I probably played my trumpet in church hundreds of times after that. Use what God has given you for His glory. Maybe you begin an area of service and you find out, this isn't where God has gifted me, then, then redirect into another type of service. Serve God faithfully, however you serve. And you ask Him to use you in a greater way than you can think of. You ask that He gives you results that are disproportional to your human explanation. And He will. Keep in mind what Paul said to the Corinthians when he said this, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. You have a talent and you have a gift that you are not using for the glory of God, then you are disobeying God. And really, you're struggling with pride. In a book called Training the Twelve, authored by the name of A.B. Bruce, said this The whole aim of the satanic policy is to get self interest recognized as the chief end of man. He's saying this, that the the aim of Satan is to get you to be more interested in yourself and for you to think that the whole purpose of life is for you. Unfortunately, though, what's happened, I think, is that many Christians have given in. Sometimes, even even, uh, times when we are 
We think we're doing the right thing. Oh, uh, I, I just I think this is the best thing, but it's it's all about you. I want to close with just four application points as reminders as we close. I don't have these in your notes. You can add them if you want. First one is, remind yourself constantly of what God has done for you. You know what? You have to every single day remind yourself, it's just by the grace of God that I am a believer. It's just by the grace of God that I am alive. It's just by the grace of God that I can do anything that produces something worthy of His glory. It is by God's grace. And you need to remind yourselves of that constantly. Secondly, and this is a hard one. You remember, church is not about what's in it for you. Candidly, I've had a number of conversations within the last two weeks that really bothered me because that's what I heard. Church is not about you. If you're not uh, if you're sitting there saying, well, I want this way, I want it that way, I, I want to do this, and, and it's about an agenda that you have, it's not of God. We need to be very careful that we remember that. It's not about us. Sometimes, you know, we push our agenda. I, I know this sometimes as a pastor, where I think this is the right thing, I go forward and I realize... Uh, through the wisdom of others or through the Spirit of God working me that I I was wrong and I need to back off. Sometimes I have humility enough to do it and sometimes I don't. We need to understand the church is not about you. It's, it's, It's about the glory of God and exalting others. Third, we need to realize that you are God's chosen vessel to do what He asks of you. You are God's chosen vessel. Whatever God has, has gifted you with, whatever God has asked you to do, you are the only one that can do that in the place you're in. And that could be any number of things. It could be that you are the only one that can be that witness for your neighbor. It could be you're the only one that could be the, the, the encourager for for a friend. It could be you're the only one that can serve God in whatever way it is. Be that. And then finally, rely on the Spirit for your daily strength. Rely on on the Spirit of God because you cannot do it in and of yourself. If you wake up tomorrow morning and says, ah, today I'm going to serve God, but God's God's presence in your life is not really there. You're not letting the Spirit of God guide you. You know what? You're going to do things with pride. We are naturally prideful people. You can only grow if you humble yourself before God. Otherwise, if you don't humble yourself before God, then what we're saying is, God, I don't really need you. I don't really need you. My challenge for you today is to think, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this 
passage of scripture and Lord we see that it's throughout your word we see it over and over again mentioned that we are to be humble God we know that the first sin was a result of pride we know that Satan's fall was a result of pride we know that when Satan tempted Jesus Christ it was through the area of pride Pride is such an area that stumbles us and causes us to fall. Lord, I pray that you will help us to be humble. Sometimes humility hurts. But I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be humble people enough to put others above ourselves and to put ourselves in the, the right position before you. And we thank you for how you work and guide in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.